Welcome back to Simon and Whiten, podcast at the crossroads of media, business, and politics. I'm Christian Whiten, joined as always by Mark Simon. Mark, please say hello. Hey, everybody. Well, a lot going on this week, especially the Russian invasion of Ukraine started last week, actually. I guess we're uh, still in single digits as far as the number of days this war has gone on, but already a lot of questions about what comes next. Uh, Mark, what's on your mind? Well, first of all, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to have two questions for you. The uh, second one will show my true character in life, I think people (laughs) will say. But the first question is, you know, I was watching you on Fox the other night, and, you know, you had the... uh, uh, the gall, I think, was one of the people on the panel almost was horrified by this, of saying that, well, maybe Swift is not exactly the uh, the silver bullet that's going to bring down the werewolf that is Putin, and maybe all these things aren't so aren't aren't such. All these things may backfire and boomerang on us a bit, and then magically, guess who wrote a letter today saying roughly the same thing? Jamie Dimon. I wanted to get your thoughts on that because I'm, I'm genuinely curious about this. I mean, I've been thinking about it and, you know, I'm going to question you a little bit. So do you really mm-hmm. think that basically Swift is going to be gone around? Do you think they're going to go around it? I think there's the possibility. It scares me that I'm on the same page as Jamie Dimon. <laughs> After all, he's, he sure is, you know, brings his knee pads to Beijing whenever he goes. Um, but uh, so SWIFT is the cross-border uh, mechanism, uh, excuse me, the mechanism for cross-border bank transactions. If you send an international wire, you're using SWIFT. Um, and, you know, what happens if you cut Russia off of that? Previously, we've only we, we used it against Iran in the past, uh, a few specific banks. It's it's not quite a death sentence for banks, but it's it's something close to it, especially if they have international exposure. And so um, it's one thing when you're dealing with rogue nations like Iran, you know, there you have the problem that they make a lot of oil. North Korea, less so, since they don't really export anything except for, you know, occasional counterfeit dollars or drugs or, you know, uh, what have you. Um, I think there is a problem that especially China is looking at this and saying, um, we don't really want the United States and Europe to have this power over us. And the Iranians are thinking that, the Pakistanis probably, maybe even the Indians, uh, traditionally non-aligned and who have not gone along with, for example, the UN Security Council resolution condemning Russia for this war. Um, so Russia and China do have alternative mechanisms, but they've been completely penny ante, irrelevant, couple of banks. Um, and the question is, is that necessary? Uh, I think there's a huge incentive for China to see if it's real, to make it real. Same with Russia. Now, in the meantime, uh, it may be that Germany and all the other people that buy tons of gas and oil from Russia uh, don't have to create a workaround. That, in fact, because the sanctions so far specifically exempt energy in most instances that they can just keep conducting business through ordinary means. But I think long run, as with talk of of fencing off banks from the U.S. dollar, again, something we only really have done, um, you know, there's Banco Delta Asia, the Macau-based bank that laundered money allegedly for North Korea that was kicked off of that and that um, certainly brought them to the table. Anyway, these are extreme measures. And I just, as usual in Washington, we seem unable to think two steps ahead about whether this will come back and bite the United States. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, as someone who's under, you know, basically indictment for what we would call it by the, one of the, my sins in Hong Kong is apparently money laundering, I've been told, um, <laughs> you know, but the simple fact of the matter is, is like, you know, when I talk to people who are in the, 
international trade business, you know, first of all, my problem with the sanctions is they're not really in effect yet. So essentially, there's a lot of very smart people in London and Jersey and Malta and Singapore and Hong Kong and a lot of places who are staying up very late at night designing ways to get money out. Um, there's a lot of assets that are being sold. People are going to get liquid very quickly. Um, we are seeing bank runs happen, but magically those bank runs that happen, people are getting their cash. It's one of, one of the things that's happening. Um, I was told that essentially there have been flights from Singapore and flights from Europe into Moscow carrying U.S. dollars. In other words, a lot of banks, you, buy, you could buy U.S. dollars. In other words, if you go to HSBC on Portland Street right now and say, I want 50 million in U.S. dollars, the next day there'll be 50 million in U.S. dollars on a pallet for you at an airport with two guys with, you know, Stin machine guns standing next to it who will put it on a plane and fly it wherever you want to. So the, the Russians can get that for the next 30 or 40 days. And then the real thing is, is, yeah, I mean, they can pay for energy. So basically you have one giant funnel and then they have to create all the smaller little sprouts that will feed their economy. So I, I have a real concern that essentially the Russians are very, very good at this. Um, they know how to get around things. All the people they're dealing with know how to get around. Um, there's tremendous incentives. So, yeah, maybe New York's going to be cut off. London's not going to be given home loans and credit cards to the Russians. They're not going to be in the Netherlands getting frequent flyer miles and things like that um, from their from their credit cards. But overall, how how devastating is it? And Putin had to know he was going to get some of this. In other words, he's if he looked at Iran, he knew that's what he's going to get. And he said, OK, I can take it. Um, the the. The next thing I would say is, and the question I have to you, and this is going to um, maybe people think less of me, when do people start making money off this? I mean, let's mm -hmm. be honest with you. I mean, you know, I bought oil stocks a week ago, you know, and those stocks are up. I bought Chevron and um, I bought a, a European uh, oil, oil, oil stock, you know, more of a small trader, I would say. But, you know, I bought both of those who, who have, has exposure. And I have to say, I don't, you know, it's kind of like buying Rio Tinto. When does that, that's going to keep going up. I mean, wh right. at what point in time do, I mean, people are, you know, the, it's on CNBC. What's the trade? What's the trade, do you think? Right. And so energy in the short term, I'm a little worried about how high it's gone, how fast. So you're right. And I assume you're, you're well in the green because um, oil closed at the, uh, 105. And actually, there's been a convergence of West Texas and Brent, which is a little weird since Brent is the one that's closer to the risk. Um, there's some, you know, both Democrats and Republicans are talking about banning U.S. imports of Russian oil. Uh, ironically, that would hurt the state of Hawaii the most. This is a little bit obscure because of the Jones Act, which means that trade between U.S. states uh, has to be conducted on U.S. manufactured ships. Those ships tend to be more expensive. You know much more about this than I, and smaller. So yeah. why doesn't Hawaii buy... Right. Why doesn't Hawaii buy natural gas from the continental United States? Well, if they can put... Um, oil on a giant taker from Russia, that's a lot cheaper, apparently. Uh, anyway, what I'm saying is that the oil market actually hasn't been disrupted in a physical sense. The production is going along at pace. Uh, even 
the small, most of the oil that goes from Russia to uh, Europe goes through a pipeline in Belarus. There's a small amount that goes through Ukraine. As far as I can tell, the one that transits Ukraine hasn't even been disrupted yet. Um, so there hasn't been a shock to the supply. It's just that there's a huge risk premium built into the price of oil. So uh, if the war ends, and of course, you know, that's another issue, I guess it's a separate issue that all of this sanctions, all of this talk coming out of the United States and Europe is still likely to result in Russia controlling a major part, if not all of Ukraine. Um, you know, I wonder if uh, there may be some pullback in oil, but absolutely starting to think about what, um, I mean, certainly Russian equities, if if you don't mind investing in them, and if you have a, a very strong stomach, um, you know, they have lost, in some cases, more than 70% of their value. So that's a long-term buy, again, if, if you don't, uh, if you don't object to doing that. I think more realistically, though, um, if you look at other emerging markets, I mean, why would you invest in Russia? It's because you, they produce things, uh, oil, iron a, a bit, forestry, stuff like that. If you look at Southeast Asia, that's a relatively stable part of the world. It's been a bit of a snoozer in the last decade or two. There's not a tremendous amount of tech there. So returns on equity have been pretty limited. But as far as a place that, that makes stuff and export stuff, I think that might be a buy regionally. Same with the Gulf. Um, we're about to sign a deal with Iran. I, I don't think it's a good deal. I think it's very similar to the 2015 Iran nuclear deal. In fact, it may be identical. Uh, but the extent that this is a region that's going to benefit enormously, whether gas stays at 105, whether it pulls back to 95, whether long term, because we're not producing as much in the United States, it goes up to 125. These look like ways to make money to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I the Iranian deal, which I think the Russians are still negotiating for us, by the way. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 insane. Um, I tend to think that we are going to continue to see. I mean, I have two very odd picks on this. Uh, oil, I think, like you said, I mean, I'm actually watching Chevron and these other guys. And I, you know, I, I think if I see, I think on Chevron, you know, I, I think if I see 165, 160, I'm out, you know, make your money and leave. Believe it or not, I think if you should, as part of the recovery, I think there's added emphasis to tourism in the United States, domestic tourism in the U.S. I think people will be hesitant to go overseas more and more now. Um, it does have that effect. Uh, I think China and uh, Asia have basically taken themselves out of the equation. No one's going to Asia now. God knows what they're doing to Hong Kong right now. So they're going to be out of the loop. Hong Kong's a major stop when people go to Asian tourism. The fact of the matter is, so no one's going there. So domestic tourism in the United States, that unrest is going to be there. Um, the, that is the, those are the, that's, that's the first two things. But, you know, overall, I, I, I am starting to believe that, uh, you know, we're not going to see an interest rate increase as rapidly as we were before. People are very worried about this. And I think the other thing that's going to come home now is the inflation. Mm -hmm. In other words, I, I think you're looking at, I mean, I filled up the car the other day here and I, you know, I use the 89 instead of the 87 on my, on my car and you know, it's $4 and 33 cents, but you know, the regular is $4 is $3 and 88 cents, you know? And so this is, this is a lot of money for people, you know what I'm saying? And I think it's going to start, you know, it's going to start, uh, um, it's going to start affecting how, what people do. And so I, I do think that, 
you know, we are looking at in, uh, more inflation. So look, look to get around inflation. And the final thing I'll say is, and I'm not a gold bug. I, I am mm-hmm. not one of these gold guys. But, you know, it kind of reminds me of uh, I got I got I got I got I got a friend from South Africa who's a very funny guy. And, um, you know, he always used to ask me he, he's he's from a, a basically a Jewish family. He said we've he said the history of our family is we fled from two places. He said we fled from Poland, to Germany, and then we fled from Germany overseas. So he always used to ask me, what's the position of the ox cart? In other words, you know, how's the <laughs> ox cart going? And he always told me, he said, you know, hey, look, it doesn't hurt you to keep $50,000 or how much you want to keep in gold in your pocket. He said, you know, get some get some golden eagles. Or, well, I would say golden eagles. He said, you know, get some coins, put them in your pocket. And I think this is coming to roost for people. In other words, you know, in other words, when times are tough, it, it goes on. I mean, I think my in price in gold overall is about a thousand bucks. Maybe that's 15, maybe that's 10 years ago, but you know, over time, you know, if you had a house that doubled, but it's a lot more liquid. So I, I think people need to really make sure you keep some cash in the bank as much as you can. You know what I'm saying? Keep some U.S. dollars in the bank, uh, British pounds, if that makes you happy. And keep some gold. Get, get, get a little bit of gold and just keep it there. And, you know, that, right. that people say, well, you know, that's really into the earth stuff. No, I mean, that's, that's what you do. Unless you're one of these guys. I have a friend, and I don't know how to tell people this, but... He collect his his currency is ammunition. <laughs> there's a there's an argument that in in you know if things really fell apart, not only would it be usable, but also it would be a form of currency, something you could buy and sell. Oh. Exactly what, and and I, and my point to him there is, I said, look, when that time comes, you know, <laughs> said, when that time comes, you got to worry about people coming to your house, you know, and and, and taking yes. the currency from you. But if you have, I guess, if you have enough of that currency, nobody's taking anything from you. But you don't know. He talks about he keeps track of like what weapons are out there, and he keeps that kind of you know keeps that kind of ammunition around. And he said, "Look, it's good for you know thirty or forty years." And he's been able to sell it. He's been able to turn it over in the last couple of years and make money on it. Oh, I'm sure. Democrats are always always good for sales of guns and ammo, right? <laughs> <laughs> what do you make of what China is doing? Well, actually, before we get to China, just one while we're still on the gold topic, uh, you know, there was this argument that Bitcoin and other crypto had become an alternative to gold, but then it declined pretty significantly before the Russia crisis, um, just as inflation news was piling up. So the implication is this is not a good hedge against inflation. It's up again, though, and I wonder, you know, I described possible workarounds for Russia to still transact financially with the world, but um, an even more innovative way, if you would, would be just to, instead of using the dollar as an intermediate medium of exchange using Bitcoin or another crypto, I don't think they're going to do it, but um, do you think it's still viable or still sort of speculative tulip stay away? If, if you live in a bunker in New Zealand or you live in a bunker in Scotland, yeah, maybe it works for you. You know, you control your internet. But what, what, you know, that son of a bitch Putin right now, what's he doing? He's taking out cell phone towers. He's taking out the internet. So essentially, if you're, if you're in a place where it all goes to shit in a handbasket, you know, you got to worry about what are you going to, where are you going to trade? How are you going to trade it? How are you going to get it? How people are going to use it? 
Right. I mean, I, 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 I think, I think a lot of times, you know, one, one of my, one of my things is, is that a lot of times we have people who just don't live in the real world when things go shit, when things go bad. I mean, when things go bad, they go bad. You know, I'm, I'm older than a lot of people, but you've been around. It's like, you know, you're in Idaho, you're, you're, you're in, you know, you, you know what it could be when you're driving down the road, you know, and the car breaks down, you know that you're there for an hour or two hours until somebody comes by, you know what I'm saying? So you keep a blanket in the car. You know, I mean, my point is, is like there's different levels and, and, and there's a group of people out there now that sit at computers and, you know, it's just, it, it really, it's a whole nother level of just, oh yeah, this will work great. Well, yeah, everything's got to be working, but what's the first thing they take out? The first thing they take out is the internet. You're right. ready to trade it. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. I, you know, it's, it's the one thing about the tech crowd is, is they really do think they control everything. I mean, they really have no idea. They've never read Shumpter. They've not, they don't understand Hayek. They don't understand. They believe they control things. Oh yeah, this will be how it works out. Really? Well, what if they don't want it to work out this way? You know what I'm saying? What if you don't want it that? What if there's some son of a bitch like Putin out there that wants to make it, make your, make your life risible or, even worse, in many ways, there's like 20 million Ukrainians who aren't going to go along and they're going to, you know, the whole global elite that want things to follow a certain way, they're deciding to throw, you know, a wrench in it. I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't, I, I, the crypto stuff, I know people make a lot of money on it, but I think when, when it, crypto should be at what, 100,000 by now, based on the logic that we heard from these people, mm -hmm. you know, six months ago. It should be, and it's not. And so the logic hasn't changed. A lot, my logic That's for gold point. is this. You know, the fact of the matter is, my logic for gold is my boss, Jimmy Lai, when his mother wanted him to get over to Hong Kong, she sewed a gold, gold coin into his underwear, okay? And that probably happened for the last 300 year, last 3,000 years a gold coin would get you across the border. And I think that's where it's going to keep happening. I think that's what's going to keep happening. You know, and I'm, and my bet is, my bet is, is that I think gold's going to probably go to about 24, 2,500 in the next several months. And I think a, a large part of it will be people just saying, okay, I want some gold. I want some exposure. Physical. Right. I want physical gold. That's my other thing too. Get physical, you know, on that. But, you know, keep it in the bank and get a safety deposit box and you'll be okay. But I'm not telling you, don't need a lot, you know, 30, 40,000, just, to, I mean, enough to basically last four or five months. You know? Right, right. All right, then. So China, um, you know, China actually also, like India, like the UAE, abstained from that Security Council vote to condemn Russia. Uh, not a surprise for China, of course. They're in, um, you know, I think people thought, well, China didn't vote with Russia. Uh, they just abstained. They didn't exercise their veto. But that seems to be very common for China at the Security Council when their equities aren't directly on the line. They did that seemingly, they're sort of a non-factor after making a big, big uh, hoopla about getting on the Security Council and taking Taiwan's seat, uh, you know, for many years being sort of a non-entity there. Um, what do you think their angle is? I mean, people are trying to say, well, they're upset that Putin has gone as far as he has. They feel embarrassed. Uh, they're not sure this helps them with Taiwan because they want to have an invasion of Taiwan and say it's just reunification. It's not an attack. But now because of what Russia has done, people would interpret it very similarly as an attack on a sovereign nation. Um, what do you really think is going on in Beijing throughout all of this? 
I really think this is what's happening. I think essentially at this point in time, the Chinese, I think they got taken by Putin. I mean, they, they don't want to admit it. In other words, you know, I, I've lived over there for over 30 years, and I'm just going to tell you, um, you know, the the people do lose face. I mean, that's a big concept. Um, it's not something that I think we have in our society as much as we should. I think we should have a little bit more of it. But you can lose face, and I think Putin has essentially uh, sold the rush, sold the Chinese a bill of goods, and I think that they are now having to basically find a way out of it. And it is com incredibly clumsy and incoherent. The story is all these things. And then you look what they do, and that betrays what they really are. In other words, Biden gave them some information. I don't know how smart that was, but he did it. And what did the Chinese do? They gave it to the Russians, okay? And I think the thing is, is that Putin and Xi Jinping saw weakness in the US. They saw uh, weakness in the West. They saw this German chancellor who wouldn't do anything. So they figured that was taken care of. They saw Boris Johnson tied up in everything. Mm. I, I tend to believe that they basically made their judgment. It goes back to the famous story about Reagan and the air traffic controllers. When Reagan fired the air traffic controllers, what we learned later, well, without a doubt, 100% in the documents, the Russians changed their assessment of Reagan. They said he's willing to go through political pain to do something. So guess what? If we're going to negotiate with him, we're going to have to do it because he's not backing down. He's serious about these things. And that seems to shock that somebody is actually serious about things. That seems to shock the D.C. elites now, whatever it is on both sides. Our elites don't seem to have any idea that they checked and checked the character of a person. And I think that's what happened. I think Putin and Xi Jinping looked at the leadership in the West, just not um, Biden, but across the board. But of course, Biden, and they figured these guys aren't going to these guys aren't going to push. And I think the Chinese got brought along with that. Now they're trying to get out of it. <laughs> now they're trying to get up because the Chinese value much more being part of the West are being in association with the West. And here's why I'll say it. Putin is sitting on top of a pile of crap. It's called Russia. <laughs> and it's going like this. It's real. It's, it's the whole country is going. I mean, demographics, people are leaving. You know, there was some great story about like the top 10 kids that got scienced, that won a science fair. All 10 of them were out of the country within five years. Wow. Working at, they just, the, the Western companies came in and go, smart guy, smart guy, smart girl, smart girl, smart guy, smart girl, job. And they all left. They just left. They lost them all. I, I, I remember hearing that story. Some, you know, St. Petersburg prep or whatever it was. You know what I'm saying? They took all the kids <laughs> out of there. And, and so that's his problem. His country's going down to the crapper. So he's trying to regain something. China, on the other hand, is ascending. They're still trying to get the Olympics. The Olympics is our way. We're back in the world. We are, we're having our own airlines. We're doing this. We're doing that. China's coming. China's coming. So it's a different attitude. So you got one guy going like this, the other guy going like this. At a certain point in time, things intersected. But guess what? Not anymore because China's still trying to go like this and Putin's pulling them down.
So I don't know how they get out of it myself. I think the best thing about this is that essentially the panda huggers, the people who shine Beijing shoes at every single moment are essentially on their back heels. And I think we should keep them there. Um, there's a blogger, I mean, a, a, a podcaster named Melissa Chin. I don't know if she's Taiwanese or, or mainland Chinese. I think she's Taiwanese. But she came out. She said, look at them now. Everybody's panicking. They're all in the panic now, you know, the pro-China crowd, because they don't know what to do. China basically, no one's doubting that they gave the Russians the information. And, and look at the group. Look, Biden just sent a group to Taiwan. All right. Oh, yes. This is this is the, this, the, the cavalry coming to defend yeah, Taiwan. Look who he sent. Look who he sent. I mean, the Chinese <laughs> have to be freaking out. These people are all panda huggers, with the exception of Michael Green from AEI. Mm -hmm. All the rest of them, flo, 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 I, hate to, I hate to go too down in depth, but Admiral Mullins, who was chairman of Georgia, he's a, he's a squish on China. Yep. Michelle Flournoy, who was passed over for Secretary of Defense, she's never been a friend of Taiwan. This Megan O'Sullivan person, I, don't, I didn't know well who she was, but I checked her out. They said, absolutely not, not a friend of Taiwan. Yeah, you know what I'm deep saying? state all the way. These people are all swamp creatures, DC people who basically got put on there. And, and so what the point is they're running over there. And the funny thing is, is these are the people who are the engagement crowd. And so China's got to be looking around going, holy crap. Now we got the engagement people going to Taiwan to suck up to Taiwan. You know, I actually did speak with a friend in the Chai administration and he's looking forward to basically Evan Medeiros, who is the former national security China guy for Obama. He's also the one that that basically flamed out President Chai in 2012 with a leak to the FT. So right. That's way the, too what, Basically with, with an endorsement of her opponent, basically. Yes. He basically mm -hmm. said the U.S. is uncomfortable with her, basically destroyed her campaign. And in my mind, did cost her the election, no doubt about it. She may not yep. have won, but this certainly ensured that she lost when this happened. You know, when the U.S. basically, they endorsed Ma is what they did, which was very rare. Um, and I'd like to remind my friends that I always remind my liberal friends in, in, in Trump and Bush's time. Now, we may have replaced a few leaders, but we didn't go to a democratic country, you know what I'm saying, and put our finger on the finger right. on the side as, as something like this. <laughs> this, this. This wasn't even a finger on the scale. This was a, a, a noose around the neck. Um, so I, I think it's very interesting, but China's in trouble. China's in real, real trouble with this. They don't know how to get out of it. They will get out of it. Um, there's a lot of good things they could do. They could start making some concessions in Hong Kong, which I hope, and in Jing'an, they could make some concessions. Do some nice things. People like nice things. That's all they have to do. That would that would be a nice nice change for them. All right, just quickly in the last few minutes here, um, being uh, a cynic, especially when it comes to European European affairs, I look ahead six months, one year. You know, I'm, uh, I I feel very sorry for what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, I think it's admirable that they haven't just quit instantly and that their leaders didn't immediately take off like the leaders of Afghanistan with bags of cash. But to me, it seems like all the military people are saying that Russia wins here, uh, if not. Uh, at a minimum, everything on 
the east of the Dnieper River, which runs through Kiev, um, you know, that at a minimum, the whole country at a maximum, who knows what it looks like. Uh, and that while everyone is on their high horse now and Europeans are, are saying and doing things beyond what normally they would do, certainly beyond what they did in 2014 during the last uh, Ukraine Crimea crisis, that when we get down the road, the reality is that Europe wants to buy energy from Russia because it's the cheapest source. They're going to continue to do that. And a lot of the, the, the sanctions and talk and high mindedness we're seeing today will be replaced by not quite the status quo. Who knows what happens with Nord Stream 2, if that uh, you know ever gets turned on or not, but certainly Nord Stream 1, which sits right next to it, will continue pumping gas from Russia to Germany. Am I being too cynical? Again, if you look a, a little bit down the road? No. I mean, I think there's, I think, unfortunately, I've always believed one thing, and, and I, I don't like to cite him because people don't like him. But he's not a dumb guy, Kissinger. Mm-hmm. Kissinger once said that World War II broke Europe. And I think he's right. I, I, I think essentially these are people in their DNA from World War from the wars before World War One to World War One, you know, uh to World War Two, and even a, a long period of nervousness. Really, we have to remember, you know, it was it was a Cold War from 1945, 1946 to 1960. But that was a 15 year period where people, you know, they once a week or once every other day, they did the air raid shelters over there. We said um, shelter drills. I, I think it kind of broke them. Certainly Germany's broke, maybe not France, maybe not. But they're broke. And I, I just don't see a willingness over there to continue on. I, I think what people. And I think Putin, in a way, you know, if you say Putin's smart, everybody gets mad at you. There's evil geniuses, folks. That's what happens in life. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And Putin's a son of a bitch. There's no doubt about it. But I think it's the reason why we saw them come in so gingerly, let's just say. You know what I'm saying? And I think because he's trying to find a way to get the Europeans, especially, to say, okay. We'll solve this through politics and we'll have speeches at the World Economic Forum and we'll have all these things. And then we'll get the business guys to start holding forums and we'll buy a yep. bunch of people at the Quincy Institute and we'll move back. And this is how we'll do the it. Open and, flights, I, and, yep. I, mm-hmm. and I think I don't think that happens. I will say that I don't think that happens. Hmm. But do we have maybe, uh, as you say, six months? I'd even say a year from now. I think the problem we're going to have six months from now is the Ukrainians will still be fighting in some way and some form. You know what I'm saying? Ukraine's a big, big country. And they're going to need, I thought it was a pretty good analysis the other day, as Jack Keane said, they're going to need four or 500,000 troops there if they, if they intend to control, you know, stop small groups from forming up. In other words, if they don't have 500,000 people there, you're going to have insurgency groups of a couple hundred that are going to be able to go out and operate and cause some real damage to the Russians. So they're going to have to constantly be putting people in there. The Russians will, of course, also do their famous unit war crimes. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they haven't changed that much. Um, so that brutality and then there's continued stories that coming out of there. It's a different world now with the cell phones. Everybody's got one. So we're going to continue to see things that they flamed up a flame. They blew up a family the other day that was horrible. Mm. So here's my point. My point is, I think that 
six months from now, we'll probably be somewhere where we are today. It'll, it'll still be a lot of fighting going on. There'll still be some things going on. The Russians will have physical control of the country, but I wouldn't want to be in a five truck Russian convoy going down a dark road at 11 o'clock at night. Right. You, I, I think that would be a pretty chancy thing. Um, but I do think that, you know, we're going to see a continuation of a lot of the violence five years from now. You know, maybe the Russians have pulled back, maybe certain things. Happen. But what I what I can't get to is this. Here's my whole thing. I can't get to. I don't know what the Russians in game is. In other words, we can mm-hmm. say he's smart. We, but sometimes smart, smart, only smart people can screw stuff up really, really badly. You know, <laughs> right. it's smart people. It's like, the, the big screw ups are not done by dumb people. They're done by. It's smart like people. what William Buckley said with the, being governed by the Harvard faculty or the first ten names out of the Boston phone book. And he'd he'd go with the phone book, right? I go with the phone book. And 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 my point is, is that Putin, these these people, are are not going to stop. You know, I told somebody something the other day. And I and 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 it comes to this like and and they'll let you go. But when you look at the things, everybody has these emotions. Look at that beautiful twenty-year-old girl holding the rifle. Oh my God! I'm so my heart's a flutter. The literary club and the arts and crafts people think that's a, a big deal. The military guy is like, great. Now I got to shoot a girl, okay? Because she's going to be in the way. I hate to tell you something. You know, she's not a frontline fighter. You know, they don't want her on the front line. And, but but it's good. It's emotional and stuff like that. You know who worries them? What worries them? It's the it's the fathers and the grandfathers because no son ever lets his father or his uncles go into battle alone. Okay, so if the fathers and the grand and right now that's Russia's problem is the Ukrainian fathers and the grandfathers are going into battle, and as they go in, they bring their sons with them, and that's going to be a problem. Look, it's one of the reasons if you ever see Afghanistan or Iraq. When the U.S. troops and the special forces are out, who's the first people they go see? They go see the village elders because the elders can control the young people. Well, what are you doing in Ukraine if you're fighting the older, the elders? The young people are right beside them. So I think the Russians have some real problems here. I think it gets really nasty. And, and, and then, you know, what's your vision for Ukraine? I mean, it's, it's a breadbasket. It's a technological wonder. It really is. You know, I actually, I actually just recalled the other day, we have two companies that we were invested in. We've sold the investments. Both their technology centers were in Kiev. Kiev. Whoa. Interesting. And so I was, at, I was calling, how are these guys doing? These guys are out fighting. Are they doing things? And they're not, and the Ukrainians are all over the world. There's a couple of million of them in Europe. You think they're going to stop? This is, Putin has really screwed this thing up. And I think it's going to, I think it's, I think there's, he's got to find a way out. And maybe you are right. Maybe what he does is he takes those original Western, those original Eastern provinces that are in contention, you know what I'm saying? Pushes out to the river a hundred miles and then stops. Mm -hmm. But I'm telling you, he's, 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 he's made some major mistakes here. I don't know how he gets out of it. I'm I'm not trying to be. I don't know how you get out of it at this point in time it, it, right. with any semblance. But for six months from now, that's it. And I'll leave you with this other thing, too. I'm not trying to depress people as well as if there's any army in the world that's more brutal. All right. The Germans, the Germans were awful when the camps and the concentration camps. But German troops were largely fairly disciplined. You know, in other words, you know. The raping and pillaging of World War II was done by 
really in, in, in Europe was done by one army. That's the Soviets. You know, the, the, the Germans were not the, you know, you didn't see, you didn't really see Germans coming into French villages, you know, dragging the women off. Whereas in Eastern Europe, somebody told me a story that in West, in East Berlin, every woman, like they, they felt it was 100%, we were talking about it, was raped. These are very brutal people. And this is a conscript army. So it's not a well-developed army. That's my point. I don't know what Putin was thinking, you know. So anyway, right. Well, no, that's that's uh, it is depressing. But um, reminded, I, I believe it was a later poet who pointed the finger at the Imperial Romans saying you have created desert and you call it peace. Uh, the idea of scorched earth. And yes, the Russians are, are definitely the top dogs when it comes to that in the modern world. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of Simon Whiten. Uh, if you like what you heard, please subscribe to us on YouTube or leave us a comment on Apple. Uh, we'll be back again soon with another episode. Thanks.